goodness, you're a good-looking bunch of people. Anointed, whole, touched, filled. You are more than a conqueror. Did you know that? More than a conqueror. I mean, you, you, you could be a conqueror, but you're more than a conqueror. That is good. I don't know what more than a conqueror is, but you are. So good. So good. We, we are in for a great treat this morning. Um, we, as a church, have been doing a series on relationships and uh, really excited about some of the messages that have been coming out. You're going to get an absolute rip snorter this morning uh, from an incredible young man. Um, who has uh, just got the Spirit of God on him and just uh, an amazing speaker, has a depth of the Word of God that is just uh, second to none. So I just want to get you ready this morning for the Reverend Dr. Dean O'Keefe. Let's welcome Dean as he comes to speak this morning. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Good morning, all. It's always good to be here and to uh, share God's Word. Hey, um, youth is back this Friday night, looking forward to it. And uh, if uh, you have children in youth, uh, parents, I'd love to meet with you just briefly after this service. Uh, so if you could uh, meet uh, with us, uh, we'll find a spot either down the back or somewhere in this auditorium here. Uh, just we'll brief, uh, meet briefly, that'd be great. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. We just glorify you this morning. You are great. You are magnificent. You are the chain breaker. And we pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, speak each, to each and every person. Speak uh, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love my family. I love doing things with my family. Just uh, last month with the end, we went on a, an extended uh, long weekend down the south coast, the limestone coast. Took a drive down and on our way down through the Coorong, we're stopping off at nearly every little camping spot, just having a look. And um, we, we were taking extra time because someone wanted to take uh, photos. Um, uh, but that was cool because there was all these different animals, creatures, scenery. And um, we headed on down to uh, uh, Meningi. was the first stop before we got the Kurong. And I must say, uh, I did take the opportunity to use this as a bit of a bakery call. And um, the pies, uh, the, uh, the bakery at Meningi is, is pretty decent. It's worth the drive. The vanilla slice in particular, I uh, thought that was uh, pretty good. Uh, then we eventually down, uh, got down to uh, Kingston or, or Rosetown, I think. Uh, the pepper steak pie there was uh, quite nice. Um, that, was, uh, that was pretty good. Um, and uh, it was just great. As we are driving, we're hanging out, and as we'd stop, we'd get out of the car in the midst of the rain. It was just kind of fascinating, too. We'd be driving in rain, and then almost, it was just like planned, we'd come to a place to stop, and the rain would stop, and then we'd get out and run around. Um, and so we're heading down doing that. We ended up at Millicent uh, there. Uh, by the way, their pies are divine as well. Um, <laughs> then uh, from Millicent, we took a day trip down to uh, the, oh, what is it? I did write it down. I always forget the Kananda National Park, uh, down to the bottom of the ocean. And that was cool. Again, we're driving there in the rain. And we get there, the rain stops. So we go for a walk through the sand dunes to get out to see the ocean. And there was just some massive sand dunes, sand dunes around. And it wasn't very long for the, uh, the inner child to... Uh, to uh, express itself. I think uh, it started in my wife first. Um, and it wasn't long before we were all running up and down sand dunes as a family, just creating memories, doing things together. And it was a lot of fun. 
And um, the passage we're looking at this morning is about the household, about the family, Ephesians 5, doing things together, creating memories and being a strong family. Before we get into uh, the passage uh, at five, chapter, chapter 5, verse 21, I just want to provide a little bit of context of this uh, section. It's known as the household code. Uh, it talks about the, the typical household of that first century time. Uh, and Paul's uh, talking about, in particular, the bigger picture of how to live a Christian life. What does it mean to live Christianly, if I can use that word? And it connects back to Ephesians 5.15, where he writes, Be careful how you live or work. A command. This is the command. Be careful how you live. So it's all, we're all coming from that point. This is how we're to live. Then he comes up with three contrasts. A but and. But don't live like fools. Uh, sorry, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, but be filled with the Spirit. These are the contrasts for Christian living. Then he unpacks being filled with the Spirit. Four characteristics or four descriptors of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Singing or speaking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself. So we need to be doing more singing. So a few people like that. Making music to the Lord in our hearts. So we need to make sure we're singing and making music, letting our life sing. Let music come forth from our hearts. Number three. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be thanksgiving in everything. Give thanks to the Lord in everything we have and everything we do. And then fourth, the last point he, want, he draws out of this aspect of what it means to be spirit-filled or guided by the Spirit is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Singing, making music, giving thanks, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, these are not steps on how to be filled, but rather descriptors of what a spirit-filled person looks like. If you're living a Christian life, these things should be evident in your life, in our lives. I know sometimes I fall short. I don't sing in tune sometimes. And what I mean by that, I'm out of sync with some of God's plans. Then we get to the household code, verse 22. As I address this this morning, I just want to make a couple of observations about this section in Scripture. Firstly, as I've indicated, this is about Christian living. The whole section here when he talks to wives, husbands, children, fathers, bosses, slaves, masters, however you want to address that, it is about Christian living, spirit-guided relationships. And in particular, this household code now unpacks that fourth aspect of submit to one another 
and a reverence to Christ, which is an aspect of being filled with the Spirit. And the household code is actually a, a, was a common uh, a code in first century. You can find uh, lots of Romans would have these codes. But Paul does something significantly different in this and Colossians. In the household code, you look in the uh, first century, you'll find that the person of authority is addressed first, then the lesser. Paul in this changes the order and addresses the perceived, I'll say the word perceived, perceived lesser than the one who seems to be in the place of authority. So he addresses the perceived lesser wife first, then the husband. Children first, then father. Slave first, then master. In doing that, he's hiring the rank of that perceived lesser person, counterculture to the time in which he was living. The Roman Empire believed, as Paul did, in fact, by bringing this into Ephesians here, that if you wanted a strong empire, you needed strong families. And I believe that is a biblical foundation. Right back to Genesis when God instituted the family as his main uh, form of discipleship, of living, of management, teaching, all those types of things. You want a strong community? You want a strong church? Start with a strong family, a spirit-filled family. And it all flows out of this line now in verse 21, submit to one, one another out of reverence to Christ. Let me just give some thoughts on submission. Submission simply means to obey, just to, to simplify uh, that definition. But it's also submission is something you give. You can't take it. Submission is your thing to give. You cannot take submission. To demand submission, to take submission, I want to put that in the category of abuse. Submission is something I give. You get to give it in a relationship. It's where you place yourself in that position of obedience. So how we submit, who are we to submit? This is now where we'll come to the passage in our, in our Bibles. I've already given the intro and in verse 22, Paul writes, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is a common verse. I've often heard it, read at weddings and uh, other events when talking about uh, women in relation to their role in Scripture. But I, I want to highlight a couple of things in this first sentence. Our English Bibles, English Bibles, said, For wives, this means submit to your husbands out of reverence to the Lord. In the Greek, the word submit is not there. It should read as this, the women to their own husbands as to the Lord. So what are women to their own husbands as to the Lord meant to do? Are they to worship the husband? Are they to uh, tithe to the husband? Well, no, as, as we uh, learnt this morning in the car, is that I work and she uses my money. I forget what she said. She said something really cool. Yeah, she spends it. I work and then she spends it. 
Yeah, is, is the wife meant to present lovely sacrificed lamb with sprinkled with herbs to her husband? <laughs> I mean, is she meant to dance before the Lord? I mean, what, what is it woman to her husband as to the Lord meant to do? Well, that's where we need to come back to verse 21. 21 tells us what this is. So you can't read verse 22 without 21. 21 tells us, submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. Then wives, do so to your husbands as to the Lord. That's how that passage works. In fact, I will have a go at one translation here. You can work it out, but uh, some put a heading right in between those verses, and I'm not a fan of that translation. Just for, for that reason. They're, they're breaking it down to kind of separate there's a line there, and I think it was done by uh, more chauvinistic males than um, what the scripture's trying to uh, get across. The whole of the context in this passage is about submission to one another. And so Paul is now looking at the family unit to say, this is how it works. Get it right in the family. Let people see it in the family so that God may be glorified. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Husbands cannot demand it. This is not something to demand. That falls into, as I said, I would cast as a place of abuse. In fact, I just, I just feel this morning, if you're in a relationship like that, I, I just want to pray right now. I just go, Lord, in Jesus' name, if there's people in a situation where they're in abuse, I just pray that you will just... Uh, Speak into that situation. You would step into that situation. And in Jesus' name, I pray for a, a change. I pray love would reign. I pray for repentance of the abuser in that situation. And Lord, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage for the person who is being used to speak to someone so they may uh, see your freedom and your love evident in that life. In Jesus' name, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Uh, verse 23 continues on, For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body of the church as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to, to their husbands and everything. Again, in verse 24, that word submit in, is therefore churches submits to Christ, but it's not there in relation to wives to husbands. It's implied in the text. I mean, here it says husbands is the head. It's pretty clear, husband is the head. I mean, what it doesn't say, though, is that I think the woman is the neck. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm the, I wear the pants, yeah, but my wife just tells him what to wear. So... This, the, the, the head in this passage is debated pretty, uh, pretty significantly. What does it mean to be head of the house? Uh, some uh, talk to it about being the source, uh, and, and there's, there's some uh, thoughts in that, that uh, you know, the, as the head, the man is the source, uh, brings in the money, you could say, in, in some sense. Uh, but, but it's not fully accepted that that is what is uh, being rely, uh, talked about here. Uh, there is in general consensus that there is an aspect of leadership recognized in this passage when, as Paul is talking about the head. But I do want to connect it in with a bit of a context of what is going on here in Ephesus. Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus had what was known as one of the seven 
uh, great wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of the Roman God Diana, Wonder Woman. Um, so, oh, yeah, by the way, hey, I wasn't here last week, uh, but I listened to the podcast and um, I, I've, you've, you've almost made me become more of a DC person rather than a Marvel. Um, do, do you get that? The, your points were DC. <laughs> yeah, that's right, they were too. <laughs> um, and so in this temple in particular was uh, encouraging women liberation. Which, so in one stint, that's great. But it was going to a point where only the people who could serve in this temple were women and they were serving in such a way that it was abusive to men. And this is also going around, uh, around the, the, the first century where some writers talk about the, uh, the new Roman woman uh, was infiltrating the, the, the philosophy, the idea of what was, uh, what was happening. And these women were, were living now in such a way, they, they were married, they were doing things, but then they were going, well, no, I'm a new woman, I'm free, I'm liberated. Yes, absolutely. But it went to a point where, well, okay, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to be faithful to my husband anymore. I can go and do what that, how I want to live and all this. And it just went to that extreme in relation to how they were living and particularly becoming the reverse of being abusive potentially to husbands and even how they taught. And this correlates with Timothy, Paul's letters to Timothy, when he addresses this, the same situation. Timothy actually was in Ephesus when Paul wrote that at that time. Uh, so Paul is really, I would say, combating against some false teaching at this time in relation to marriage is wrong and the role in this uh, family. And so he's bringing some balance to the situation to say, hey, listen, marriage is good. And in the context of where he's writing, the society, what's going on at that time, man is the head. There is a leadership aspect in this relationship which is good for society. This is the way the world is operating at that time. While there's an aspect of uh, leadership represented uh, in this, I actually, when I read head, I like to read the idea of representative into that as well. Just as Christ is our representative, he died on the cross for us as our representative. I, as the husband, am a representative for my family. In that regards, which is a point that comes to in the sexually talks of husbands, am I willing to die? As the head, the man takes the lead. I believe uh, the woman's attitude in this uh, idea of man taking the lead is described pretty well in the movie Take the Lead. So, yes, as a good loving husband, I watch chick flicks. I've watched Pride and Prejudice, even most of the BBC edition. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's long. But uh, in, in this uh, movie, Take the Lead, it's a story about a teacher, a dance teacher, uh, Antonio Bandenas. Yeah, so you're like, I don't know, uh, push the cat. You know, that's, that's who it is. Um, <laughs> And he decides to, uh, uh, he gets involved with a school where he says, I'm going to teach some kids to dance, and it ends up being their detention class. 
And, uh, and then there's a whole controversy around this whole aspect of dancing. And as the parents object, he gets, and I think it's the principle, uh, to show them to say, bring up and, and just illustrate something. And as he's illustrating this aspect of dance and the man taking the lead, he says this, if she allows me to lead, she is trusting me. But more than that, she is trusting herself. What a profound statement there. If she allows me to lead, she's trusting me. But more than that, she's trusting herself. In self-submission, the woman knows herself. The wife knows herself and trusts herself. She develops and grows in self-confidence. This is a place for a spirit-filled woman, a spirit-filled wife in relation to submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. She does so by trusting her husband. Single woman, married woman, you can be in this community, you can be spirit-filled, you can live Christianly by submitting, mutually submitting to everyone in reverence to Christ. Then verse 25, he gets to husbands. Husbands, this means love your wives. As Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, Compared to what Paul just said to, to women, to wives, this is a massive big section. And I think it has something to do that um, men just take a lot longer to learn. <laughs> but a husband who is filled with the Spirit is a husband who loves his wife. But then he describes what this love is. This is not just, oh, yeah, I just love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's love, it's love where Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. It's love where it says, John 15, 13, no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. This type of mutual submission, this is how the husband, the man is to submit to his wife is to love her by saying, am I willing to die for my wife? Am I willing to lay down my life? Yeah, I watch Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) Husband submits. That means give up his life. I give up my life as Christ gave up his life. For my wife, as the representative of this house, I lay down my agenda. It's hard. 
But this is, this is what Paul's saying. Then as he continues to go for, just as Christ makes the church holy, cleansed, and radiant, a loved wife looks holy, cleansed, and radiant. You know, there, there was a thought back then that, that women were, were viewed as impure, especially during that time of the month. Uh, and again, this relates to when Timothy was writing to, uh, uh, sorry, Paul was writing to Timothy, uh, that women will be saved through childbirth, uh, childbearing. It's got, got that connection there. Well, you know, having sex was bad, then having children, all that aspect was actually evil. Don't do it. So, But it, Paul's addressing this false teaching in Timothy to go, no, listen, there's nothing wrong with it. Actually, God created this. This is actually part of God's plan. And so Paul is, uh, again, finding he, talking to the husband to say, guys, women... Humans are not impure. Paul is making it clear that women are holy. Women are cleansed. Women are radiant, just as Christ sees the church. You know, just as Jesus was walking through that crowd and a woman with the issue of blood came up and touched him, she became clean. You know, the Old Testament tells us that her being there was actually a crime. And secondly, in her touching Jesus, she should have made Jesus unclean. But the reverse happened. Jesus who is holy, Jesus who is God, when what was unclean touched him, he made her clean. He makes what is impure, pure. What is unholy, holy. Just as the church is holy, so a loved wife is holy. She is separate from the rest set apart for her husband. Just as the church is cleansed, a loved wife stands pure, a picture of perfect purity. Just as the church is radiant, a loved wife glows, is radiant. Paul then writes to the loving husbands. He commands the husband to be a loving husband. And that in doing that, it actually shows that you love yourself. You care for yourself. You respect yourself. In fact, I would go to say, men, how you treat your wife reflects how you treat yourself, how you feel about yourself. Loving your wife is not only important for your wife, It's important for the household, for our children. It shows two things. It shows, one, it provides a secure home. I pray our kids know that our home is secure by the fact that they see love between Lisa and myself. But secondly, it demonstrates true love. True love. As you wish. (laughs) There's the princess bride connection. Statement of submission. As he was saying, as you wish in the movie, he was actually saying, I love you. It shows true love to those around. They see the strength, the beauty in a family relationship. 
Then Paul talks about the mystery of love. Yeah, it's, it's a mystery of the two becoming one, referring back to what God talks about in Genesis. Uh, love is mysterious in how it works. A spirit-filled husband submits to his wife by loving her. This whole passage is about mutual submission to one another. This is a spirit-filled life. This is how Christians should be living. A husband loves his wife, is willing to lay his life down for her. That's the love we're talking about. Verse 33, I believe, kind of summarizes this relationship with the wife and the husband where he says this. So again, I say, so kind of repeating, this is what it's all about. Each man must love his wife as he loved his, himself, and then wife must respect her husband. This passage inspired uh, Dr. Emerson uh, Egridge uh, to uh, write his book, Love and Respect. He's based on this passage where he talks about the need for wives to be loved and the need for husbands to be respected. And in saying that, whether you're single, married, you can live a life where you, women, you can live and respect men. Men, whether you're single or married, you should live a life that deserves respect. Men, you need to live a life where you love your wife or love all women. Are you willing to lay down your life? Single men, it starts by treating women as your sisters and mothers. Women, live a life as someone who can be loved. Paul is talking to all of us in all that we can do and how to live a spirit-filled life in mutual submission. Then he gets to the children. Any children here? There's a few. I'm still a child. Yeah, my wife affirms that. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Children, obey your parents. This is how you are to submit in mutual submission to the Lord. Obey your parents. A friend of mine taught me what obedience means. Or how do we know when someone obeys? And obedience is displayed when it is done immediately, completely, and happily. Did you get that, children? <laughs> Obedience is, I'll repeat that, write this down, children. Oh, by the way, there's those picture sermons there, and I've got some lollies if uh, you're going to start doing it now, I know. Yeah, I've got some lollies there. If you're making, taking notes, you can come and show me. Obedience is immediately, completely, and happily. This is a spirit-filled kid's life to live like that. This commandment comes with a promise, a reward, a long life. I mean, let's just, practice, let's just practice now some obedience. All right, kids, where's the kids here? Stand up, kids. All right, let's just see. Okay, we're going to practice obedience right now. All right, there's a few older kids wanting to stand up as well. Okay, you ready? So remember, we're practicing obeying mum and dad, okay? 
obeying mum and dad, all right? You've all heard of Simon Says. All right, Daddy Says, arms up high. Daddy Says, arms up high. Mummy Says, touch the sky. Daddy Says, hands down low. How low can you go? (laughs) Mummy says, touch your toes. Put your hands in the air. Mummy and daddy didn't say. All right, I've got a few people there. You ready? Yeah, there's a few people there still touching toes. Daddy says, hands on head. Mummy says... Turn around. Daddy says, pick your nose. Mummy says, no, no. (laughs) Put your hands in the air. Oh, all right, sit down, sit down, sit down. All right. You did good, you did good. I think think you did well. You can all come and see Lisa. She'll uh, give you a lolly at the end. Uh, for a good obedience. Listen, obedience children is part of God's plan. Part of God's plan for your life to obey your parents. And it's a promise of long life, good life. And this command, I would suggest, is not just for those who are under 18. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I still, live in a, I still live in a way where I respect, honour and obey my parents. So there's a, there's a thought. Children submit to your parents by obeying what they say immediately, completely, and happily, willingly. Then Paul talks to parents. The passage begins with verse 4 of chapter 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, in the context of the first century, the father had that place of authority. So scripture here is identifying father. But we recognize today that both mum and father have that same authority with children. So this passage, as far as I'm concerned, can be for both parents in that way. Parents who are filled with the Spirit submit to their children. Again, this is in the whole context of mutual submission Parents submit to their children in two ways I get from this. One, by not causing your children to be angry. By not causing your children to be angry. Now, that doesn't mean there's no discipline. There's disappointment with some discipline. That's not angry. It's provoke them to anger. Push them over the line, you might say. Discipline needs to be practiced from a place of love. Uh, the Barna Group, in some of their research on our revolutionary parents, they put out a book here, discovered several factors about discipline. And uh, here are the things they say that's uh, important with uh, revolutionary parents who are raising godly children. They say this, that uh, the discipline was constant. <laughs> that's a challenge. It's constant, regular. It's consistent, equal to the action or behavior, and consistent so that the children can see equality. Consistent. It's cultural. Okay, There's certain different cultural aspects in different 
countries or different cultures which people will recognize. You know, and a simple thing, not this is related to, to necessarily discipline, but as a school teacher, I learned when uh, talking with uh, Indigenous children, when I'm telling off Aussie kids, they go, look at me, look at me. You know, Indigenous children, they, that's, if you do that, that's actually telling them to be defiant to me. You know, so they, their, their respect is not to look at you. And so you just got to recognize there's different cultural aspects. So some family might something different than how you do it. Uh, and so just recognize that. And the, third, the fourth point they mention is uh, conditional. Uh, children do react differently. You know, I can just often say something or even with a look, um, sometimes have one of my children at the point of breakdown where another child they can be looking at me like, going, oh, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and it sounds like some of you have all been there before too. <laughs> Why don't we provoke our children anger? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 21, fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. If we provoke them to, ang- to anger, they will become discouraged. It's, my job is to encourage my children. We need to encourage them, build them up, discipline them, instruct them. Discipline isn't all about bad stuff. Discipline is is a word of of getting practices and and habits in our life that make us a better person. I want to encourage, impart into my child, into my children. So don't push them to get angry. Secondly, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's our responsibility as parents. If you're a parent here, your number one responsibility for discipleship is your children. Now, a lot of society will talk about different stages as we go through life and impact and the result of peer pressure, all that kind of stuff. But research still says that teenagers still identify parents as the major influence in their life as they go through life. So don't back away when they're going through their teenage Life. Yes, there's other voices now speaking, but you are still significant in their life. You are still a voice of life, encouragement, hope, direction, instruction in that child's life. As parents, our first priority, I'm a firm believer, this, our first priority to fulfill the Great Commission is to disciple our children. Now, that doesn't mean we disciple others. And in fact, Even in Scripture, you've got John writing to his followers and calls him children. He refers to them as spiritual children. So whether you have biological children or not, you can be part of discipling, instructing, and raising up the next generation and see them step into God's will as you actually step into a role of spiritual father, spiritual mother in someone's life. Spirit-filled parents submit to their children by not making them angry and disciplining them and instructing them in the Lord. Lastly, it gets to slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us
for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Now, there's much support that suggests that as we read this passage about slaves and masters, we can actually refer to it in the context today as employer and employee. Uh, similar kind of context for us today compared to that first century setting. So Paul's talking to the employees first, the slaves. Work as as if unto the Lord. Respect your boss. Respect your leader. Doesn't matter how they treat you. Now, again, listen, I've also talked about situations of abuse. We don't need to be and should not be in places of abuse. But this is not dependent on how the boss treats you. This is first addressing you as a person. How do you respond to your boss, your superior? This is how you submit to work with enthusiasm as unto the Lord. This is a spirit-filled employee, a spirit-filled slave. How are your work relationships? Masters, verse 9, as we wrap it up, musicians, if you'd like to come up. Treat your slaves in the same way or employees in the same way, in the same way. Submit in the same way to them. Do not threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. He has no favorites. Bosses, supervisors, managers, submit in the same way. We're to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Don't threaten. Treat them with respect. Remember, remember that you have the same master in heaven. We both, we both are equal in that we both serve the Lord. Whether it's wife, husband, child, parent, employee, employer, we are all one, equal in mutual submission, spirit-guided, spirit-filled, living unto the Lord. This is the household code. There is no favorites in this. This is a strong family. To submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. <clears throat> this morning as we close, as musicians uh, will uh, lead us in a song, we, we're going to open up a time. Maybe uh, some of you might like to respond. You might like some prayer in relation to some of your relationships, whether it's a home relationship, marriage, children, parents, whether it's work relationship, as boss, as employee, are you living a spirit-filled, guided relationship life this morning? Are you mutually submitting to one another? Perhaps you just need to be encouraged this morning. Or maybe you're facing some type of challenge. Let one of our leaders stand with you this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to step into the situation and give you peace, wisdom, courage, love, all that is needed for this situation. But before we close and before...
we open this up if you need prayer. It all starts with reverence to Christ, knowing Christ. We've heard this morning of El said, Jesus has entered the building. Maybe you don't know Jesus this morning. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. Does everyone just uh, close your eyes as we close this morning? If you come this morning and you say, Dean, yeah, I, I don't know Jesus yet. I haven't put him first in my life. I haven't made a decision publicly to, to follow him. I want to invite you this morning. I want you to make this today the day we say, yeah, I choose to, to follow Jesus. If you want to decide that this morning, we'd love to pray with you. I invite you just now while everyone's got their heads bowed and eyes closed, just to lift your hand so I can see your hand and we can pray with you this morning. Is there anyone here this morning? He says, I want to accept Jesus this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that uh, it instructs us how we can live Christianly be spirit-filled, to show what a spirit-filled life looks like. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us to live a life of mutual submission unto Jesus. Lord, I do pray for each person here. I pray that you would help each and every one of us, me as a husband, each person, whether they're a wife, husband, man, woman, father, mother, child, employee, employer, I pray you would help each and every one of us to better reflect you in that relationship and allow Holy Spirit you to, to reign. In Jesus' name. As we sing this morning, if you just would like to stand before God and allow Him to speak into a relationship, your situation, why don't you just come forward and encourage you and let leaders pray with you this morning. Amen.